Hi, my new stand-up comedy show, Sammy Shah, a successful comedian, is coming to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival from the 30th of March to the 23rd of April. Then I'll be in Sydney on the 27th and 28th of April. Tickets are now available at their respective comedy festival websites or through thesammyshah.com. Patreon subscribers get two free tickets, so join that for a discount and email me with your preferred show date. Now on to News Weekly. Top Stories of the Week Albanese becomes second Italian after Columbus to find India. Also, Rishi Sunak copies Tony Abbott's homework. And Israel regrets trusting Netanyahu for the sixth time. All that and more on News Weekly. Hello, I'm Sammy Shah and thank you for joining me as we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Albo does Ahmedabad news now. Austrian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is enjoying his gap year by going on a trip to find himself and a trade partnership in India. The Modi government putting on a show for Anthony Albanese, the first Australian Prime Minister to visit India in six years. Mr Albanese arriving to a parade of performers, his visit coinciding with the Hindu festival of Holi. The Prime Minister daubed with colour and showered with marigold petals to mark the start of spring. The Prime Minister then did yoga in an ashram, smoked weed at a full moon party in Goa and nearly diarrheaed himself to death in a toilet in New Delhi. The purpose of the trip has been to strengthen ties with India, which has the largest cohort of migrants coming to Australia according to the most recent census, which is why an announcement like this will be much appreciated by Indians. In a historic deal, university degrees completed in Australia are set to be recognised in India and Indian degrees recognised here. This will, of course, raise the quality of expertise in Australia, given the high standards of Indian universities. It will also lower the quality of expertise in India, given how bad most Aussie universities are. Here's a reporter from Channel 10 explaining the details of this deal while standing in front of a troupe of aggressively noisy Indian performers. The Prime Minister is also keen to expand education ties too, with the announcement of the first Australian university campus in India. Deakin University will be opening up shop with Wollongong University, hoping to follow. It'll go hand in hand with a new agreement that will see Indian students in Australia have their degrees recognised when they go back, giving them the confidence to study abroad. A few more days of that and she'll finally be getting the headlines loudly enough with an obnoxious backing track to qualify for a job in Indian news. Security partner says Australia's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. The Australian Prime Minister is on a four-day visit to India and was on board INS Vikram. It's like they aren't sure the mics work so they're yelling loud enough to reach through each individual viewer's home just in case. Of course, no trip can be complete without a visit to the cricket, which led to cliches being batted for a six by Australian news media. In a nation where sport and politics go hand in hand. A chariot ride in front of a country where cricket isn't sport, it's religion. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi took Albanese to a test cricket match played between India and Australia, where Albanese got to stand on the field with his team and sing the Australian national anthem. Analysts have paid attention to the fact that the stadium, which is the largest in the world, was packed with a record-breaking number of Modi supporters. Australian fans initially shut out of the first day of play. 
leading to speculation seats had been reserved for supporters of Mr Modi. The stadium is called the Narendra Modi Stadium, meaning the leader of India had the largest stadium in the world built and named after himself, then packed it with fanatical supporters only, which is definitely a normal thing to do, and not a sign that we might not be wanting to cozy up with someone who was on a no-entry list in the US and UK for perpetrating violent riots in Gujarat in the early 2000s and repeatedly praising Hitler, a band that was only overturned when Modi became Prime Minister. It's a tendency towards fascism that's only been brought up very subtly right at the end of one news report by Sky News. From Mumbai, it's to the capital Delhi now for the Prime Minister, where he has the formal bilateral meeting with Narendra Modi. But he's already had significant talks while at the cricket with the Indian Prime Minister and trying to build up a rapport, a crucial relationship in a country to democracy. But in India, what Narendra Modi says goes. Other than that, no one wants to bring up the recent efforts by the Modi government to censor the BBC for airing a documentary on the virginal Prime Minister's love of genocide. Yes, Modi is still a virgin, or so he claims, which is hard to believe given how bangable he looks in those blue waistcoats with his name embroidered all over them. So instead, everyone's focusing on the cricket, like acting Prime Minister Richard Marles giving a speech to Parliament. Tomorrow is going to be a very exciting day as the coin is tossed at the beginning of the fourth test at the largest stadium in the world, the Narendra Modi uh, Stadium in Gujarat. And right now, on the field is a banner which proclaims 75 years of friendship between Australia and India through cricket. And indeed, uh, in Australia was the first country with whom uh, India had formal diplomatic relations after independence. And cricket has been at the heart of our relationship since independence. Indeed, months after Indian independence, Australia and India played our first test match together when India toured Australia in 1947-48. It was the one series that Bradman played against India. And in that first test in Brisbane, he scored 185 not out. And I am pretty sure that my father was there to watch it. After that non-anecdote about Donald Bradman's cricketing history, which will probably trigger Philip Adams, Richard Marles then continues with what can only be described as a Samuel Beckett-style modernist surrealist monologue. And cricket is perhaps the, the best symbol of what we have in common as two countries. You can have an engrossing conversation with a taxi driver in New Delhi about Virat or Tendulkar in a way you can't really have the same conversation even with a taxi driver in New York. I mean, chances are the taxi driver in New York is from New Delhi. Marles then justifies the improvement of trade and defence ties before getting to the real reason why Australia is interested in strengthening its relationship with India. Friends to family is the vibrant and growing Indian diaspora which is in our country today and which will very soon be producing cricketers for our own test team. So how is India seeing this visit? Is it all about cricket for them too? Let, let Mr Parthasarthi, it's very interesting that for almost two decades we didn't have yeah. Uh, visits between Indian and Australian Prime Ministers. In the last decade, we've had more visits than we had in the previous two decades. Is that what we should be celebrating in a way today? The fact, as you said, that we are now uh, with Australia in a strategic partnership through Quad, that there is a far greater increase in commerce between the two countries. There are contentious issues like coal, which both the countries need to address, and, and, and green energy. But by and large, would you say that that's what we should be looking at rather than the images that I'm playing on my screen 
of uh, simply the two prime ministers walking with the cricketers. I think it's absurd to politicize the visit of an Australian prime minister. Yeah, let's not politicize the meeting of two major world politicians. They have, you have the prime minister come here. He's on his way to United States. And uh, I, uh, it, it, is, it turns out that it is convenient for, for him to be taken to a cricket match. Why not? I mean, Australia is a cricket-crazy country. Uh, you, you, you're going to build a lot of goodwill there, taking the prime minister there. And uh, I, I don't, I know, I'm not into politicizing everything. Uh, cricket is mm -hmm. a game. Mm -hmm. Please treat it as a game. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's, a, it's a game which our na nation cherishes, relishes, which mm -hmm. every youngster Indian likes to play. I played it all my way through college and I still love the game. And I'd go anywhere, whether or not there is an Australian. So basically, let's not ruin cricket with politics. When he isn't batting around with fascists, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese was also working to strengthen defence ties with India. Much of the visit to India has been dominated by trade and business talks. That shifted with the Prime Minister arriving in Mumbai, becoming the first international leader invited aboard a newly built Indian aircraft carrier. Well, I'm very honoured to be here today on the newly commissioned Indian-designed INS Bikram at the invitation of Prime Minister Modi. The Prime Minister flagged India's increased military cooperation in the region and its involvement in naval exercises with Australia and other key allies, including exercises Malabar and Talisman Sabre. My visit reflects my government's commitment to place India at the heart of Australia's approach to the Indo-Pacific and beyond. The word he didn't say there was China, something spelled out more clearly in Indian news. This may look like a photo opportunity, but there's a lot more in this visit to INS Vikrant by the visiting Australian Prime Minister, the clearest ever sign of the strategic alignment between New Delhi and Canberra. The common concern is China, and Mr Albanese made it clear that India lies at the heart of Australia's approach to the Indo-Pacific and beyond. What's more, India is a top-tier security partner and the Indian Ocean is central to both the country's security and prosperity. The trip to India is part of a longer journey where the end destination is America to finalise a nuclear submarine deal with the US and UK. It's the Prime Minister's next foreign stopover dominating his passage through India. I can confirm uh, that on Monday uh, there will be a meeting of the AUKUS partners. In San Diego, he'll join the US President and UK Prime Minister for the long-awaited AUKUS unveiling. And already American and British officials are leaking apparent details of the nuclear submarine's plan. According to multiple international media reports, US boats will first deploy to Australia this decade as a stopgap. Before, up to five Virginia-class submarines are acquired in the 2030s. Basically, India was a stopover destination on a connecting flight, so Albanese extended his stay a few days to take in the sights. No confirmation from the Prime Minister, rather an assurance. Australia will retain absolutely our sovereignty, our absolute sovereignty, 100%. Albanese continued making repeated assurances that we'll maintain our sovereignty, something we didn't know we had to worry about until he started saying it and now seems even less likely because of how emphatic he's being. 
The Australia-UK-US submarine deal was initially begun under Prime Minister Scott Morrison, and he's finally getting the credit for it. 18 months on from the original announcement... And so, friends, AUKUS is born. ...tributes to those who conceived the Trilateral Security Partnership. I would like to acknowledge the member for Cook, and I would like to acknowledge the Leader of the Opposition. I too want to pay tribute uh, to former Prime Minister Morrison, without whom... Uh, AUKUS wouldn't have been a reality. Is the only part of Prime Minister Scott Morrison's legacy that isn't currently being investigated by a royal commission. Stop the stop the boats news now. The United Kingdom is due for midterm elections in just a couple of months, which is worrying Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's government. It's still polling poorly with the British population and the public no longer trusts the Tories to manage the economy, the NHS or really anything else. One recent poll had them trailing Labour in every single issue, from healthcare and schools to immigration and the war in Ukraine. So in times of crisis, the Tories have to do what Conservative politicians always do to win support with their core base of virulent racists and nationalists. The UK Prime Minister has vowed to stop the boats under a controversial new plan to turn back illegal migrants. Why the fuck not? Australia has always had a cultural impact on England, from Kylie Minogue to Danny Minogue, from Rupert Murdoch to Rolf Harris. So why not Australian politics as well? Although there's paying homage to the classics and then there's photocopying the entire text and changing the name on top with Whiteout. Here's Rishi Sunak last week. It is this country and your government who should decide who comes here. And here's John Howard in 2001. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. Here's British Home Secretary Swella Braverman three days ago. Do not hand over your life savings. Do not risk your life. And here's Scott Morrison every time he masturbates. Do not waste your money or risk your life. Braverman. Because you will not be entitled to a life in the UK. Morrison, while coming. No one who attempts an illegal boat journey to Australia will ever be allowed to settle here. It's basically like a shit cover band covering a song that was shit to start with. Stop the boats. To stop the boats. Rishi Sunak even gave his speech standing at a podium with Stop the Boats written on it, apparently because his boat-shaped paperweight with I Stop These written across it hasn't been shipped by Amazon yet. The announcement by Sunak's government is a doubling down on last year's plan to send refugees to Rwanda, where, according to the UNHCR, most refugee households report little to no access to electrical energy and access to water below the humanitarian standard of 20 litres per person per day. The plan by Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, to revive an old British tradition of forcing people from impoverished nations to live in a random African country, much in the same way her Indian ancestors were made to live in Kenya until they finally came to England, has been criticised by human rights activists, but they don't vote in large enough numbers, so fuck them. The entire thing is quite hilarious for Australians to watch, even to see some of the debates playing out that we had here a decade ago. And by hilarious, I am, of course, mispronouncing fucking infuriating. There are people who are dying to try and get here. They are breaking our laws. They are abusing the generosity of the British people. Not, and we now need to ensure boat. that they are deterred from doing that. We need to break the model of the people smuggling gangs. We need to stop people making this journey 
in the first place. If they want to come to the United Kingdom, they should choose to come here through safe and legal routes. They should put in an application the through the legal mechanisms the law, that Home we Secretary. have offered them. They're not breaking the law. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, you just quoted that, it states that everyone has the right <coughs> to seek and enjoy asylum from persecution in other countries. That's what they're doing. Well... <laughs> just make that conversation more nasal, stretch the vowels out to their breaking point and say some nonsense phrases like fair dinkum every 30 seconds and that's identical to most Australian news in 2014. Even the Labour opposition is mimicking the Australian Labour Party by criticising the plan not for its human rights implications or being in contradiction of the Charter for Human Rights to which the United Kingdom is obviously a signatory but because the government probably won't go through with it. All they offer is the same old gimmicks and empty promises. I don't agree with the Home Secretary on very much, but when she says that the Tories are all talk and no action, exactly. she's spot on, isn't she? If recent history is any indication, this will provide the Tories with the boost they need to win the next election and the Labour Party will commit to upholding the same policy. Meanwhile, in Australia this week, the Labour and Liberal Party voted together against a bill which would have offered urgent evacuation to the 160 refugees still held offshore in PNG and Nauru, where there have been numerous recorded cases of child abuse, sexual assault, self-harm, suicide and yes, even murder. So, you know, that's where the Brits are headed, I, I guess. <laughs> It turns out voting for right-wing extremists and the same corrupt politician again and again doesn't lead to good outcomes and no one noticed this before. News now. In December of last year, Israeli elections gave Benjamin Netanyahu a historic sixth term as prime minister, backed by a coalition of far-right parties. These parties included the party Otzma Yehudit, whose name translates into Jewish power, thus confirming that any group of people with the word power in their name is usually a bad idea. After the election victory, Netanyahu spoke to National Public Radio in America to reassure his critics about who was really in charge. He's criticized for making alliances with leaders very far to his right. They've attacked the place of minorities in Israel, such as Arabs or those who identify as LGBTQ. Netanyahu insists the far right will not make policy. They're joining me. I'm not joining them. I'll have two hands firmly on the steering wheel. I won't let anybody... Uh, do anything that to LGBT or to deny uh, our Arab citizens their rights or anything like that. It just won't happen. Well, and the test of time will prove that. It turns out, while those two hands were firmly on the steering wheel, there were a lot of right hands grabbing at the gear shift, handbrake, seat belts, and uh, you get the idea. To Israel now, where government proposals to overhaul the legal system have sparked major protests, with some calling the proposals a threat to democracy. Supporters say the plans, which reduce the influence of the Supreme Court and allow political influence in selecting court justices, are the will of the people, while others have grave concerns about the rule of law and minority rights in Israel. Mass protests have broken out across the country, with thousands of protesters taking to the streets, including active members of the military who have had to take time out of shooting Palestinian journalists in the head. The last 10 living former Israeli Air Force chiefs and over 100 members, some very senior, of the country's elite military intelligence special operations division are against the reforms. Some volunteers, including a prized squadron of F-16 fighter pilots, have threatened to stop showing up for duty in protest. A prospect which raises fears at a time of high tensions, both with Iran and between Israelis and Palestinians. 
The problem, as many protesters are highlighting, is that the independent Supreme Court is the only true defense of democracy were it to be challenged. There's no constitution in the state of Israel and no declaration of human rights. We do not have two houses of parliament. We do not have term limits for the prime minister. That's why, in terms of checks and balances, many times we lean on the High Court's decisions. This law makes it impossible for the Supreme Court to oversee the Knesset and the government's actions. Which is probably why Netanyahu and the far-right extremists holding his gear shift want that changed. The recent increase in violent attacks by Jewish settlers has followed the controversial appointment of several ministers who've expressed extremist views, such as calls for the full annexation of the occupied West Bank and the expulsion of Arab citizens seen as lacking loyalty to Israel. One of these appointments in particular was questioned as soon as it was announced by Netanyahu back in December. Well, let me let me ask about one person in particular, Itamar Ben-Gavir, who, as some will know, was convicted in 2007 of supporting a terrorist organization of incitement, calling Arab members of the Knesset, the parliament, a fifth column, saying Arabs should be expelled, uh, member of an extremist group, we could go on for some time. You say that you will set the policy, he won't, but you've said that you want him to be in charge of the police. What value does that specific individual bring to the job of overseeing the police? Well, first of all, uh, his eligibility was decided by the Supreme Court. Secondly, he's modified a lot of his views since then. And uh, I have to say that, you know, with uh, with the power and responsibility, with power comes responsibility, not always. And I certainly will ensure that that will be the case. So how's that going? Riot police break up a protest agreed in advance with authorities using crowd control tactics familiar to Palestinians in occupied territory. One voice missing in all of this is Netanyahu's himself. What, many of us, does he think about these protests? Well, I, I think now, as a result of this incredibly courageous protest by uh, women, men, uh, youngsters, children, uh, who are claiming their right to be free, the entire world recognizes... That's really cool that he... ...that the Islamic Republic regime is the enemy of the Iranian people. Oh, never mind. What about Israel? Surely if he supports the right to protest in Iran, he feels the same way about protesters in Israel, right? Israeli police use tactics never been seen before, prompting the Prime Minister himself to address the nation. It's not allowed to beat up policemen. It's not allowed to disrupt the country's life or to block main roads. Israelis are considering electing Netanyahu a seventh time in the next election, if there are elections ever again, just to be sure they can't trust him. That's all from this week's edition of News Weekly. As I said, go to thesamishah.com, that's T-H-E-S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H.com, slash shows, or just click on the shows tab at the top of the page to buy tickets to my Melbourne and Sydney Comedy Festival shows, or join my Patreon, that's patreon.com slash samishah, S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to get two free tickets per membership. Um, that's a really stupid deal on my end, but I like you. What can I say? Otherwise, I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. <laughs> <laughs>